We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me and Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Little later than usual, but a post-match podcast all the same. In today's show, Elliot and Paul will be discussing the 2-1 victory at home to Southampton. Uh, very important three points. Uh, not vintage, but the points count just the same. The debates of old has often been the Wenger in versus Wenger out, but now it looks a bit more like the uh, cock in, cock out. Good discussion on, on that later on in the show so stay tuned for that uh, and also if you're not following the podcast on twitter please do so it'll be explained in the pod later on but it's arsenal v podcast so get on twitter type arsenal v podcast and follow if you're not doing so already yes enjoy the podcast back after psg have fun take care see you later shane long is a cunt this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is elliot smith and you can block me on twitter at yankee gunner uh, I am joined by Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posin in my pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. I'm also happy to be joined by Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posin in my pants. Hello, Paul. Hello, Elliot. Hello, Paul. Good to talk to you. Great to have both of you on the pod. It's Thank just you. the two of us today, folks. So it's going to be head to head, mano e mano. One man who hates Cochlin, one man who adores Cochlin. Only one man can leave the podcast. That's not true. Both men are going to leave the podcast. Well, I mean, I assume, unless like something terrible happens to one of us during the recording, in which case you may never hear it. So this will have to be like the B-side of some like rare released podcast track in, in the future after whatever horrible thing befalls one of us. And I hope it's you, Paul. Anyway, uh, we got a lot to get to. It was an interesting uh, and tense match against the 
the Titans at our Southampton. All kidding aside, Southampton has kind of been a bogey side for us, so it, it's good to get a win over them any way we can get it and get some uh, much-needed revenge against uh, Shane Long, who I don't know if I mentioned it, but he is a cunt. Um, okay, so, Paul, let's get down to you know the, the news right before the match. And it, obviously, coming off the international break, everyone is so eager to, to get back to football and so excited to see the new faces. And we did see two of them. <laughs> um, we, we saw Mustafi and, and Lucas in the lineup. We did not see Shaka uh, in the lineup. What was your take on the selection and the reason for the selection? Sure. So uh, did you see that I guessed the 11 before the game? I did see that. That was quite well done. Now, to be fair, you did that in light of the rumors that it was going to include the new guys and be have some, quote, surprising choices. Yes. So I think, you know, you followed the yellow brick road a little bit. But I did. Yeah. Yet, yet there was consternation beforehand at my 11 from all sorts. Well, then I can only imagine the consternation that existed uh, when it was announced. By the way, I should yeah. mention that I was away on a bachelor party weekend at a cabin in the woods uh, this past weekend and watched the match uh, on my computer streaming um, you know, in the morning when it was on, and I had probably gone to bed three hours prior to that, um, if you can call passing out going to bed. So all of my recollections. by a bear. <laughs> I mean, it's not rape if it's consensual, but sure, you say it any way you want. Um, I was probably too drunk to give consent anyway, um, but the bear seemed to enjoy it. Uh, did I mention the bear was a swimmer from Stanford? Ooh, that's ah, Ooh. Ooh. All right, so... Moving on, uh, quickly, hopefully. Uh, if you don't get that, by the way, you can Google it, um, yeah, or not, yeah. if you yeah. don't like to be upset D- by don't. things. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you, you predicted it, so good for I you. Did. Good job by you. Uh, but, but what did you make well, of it? Yeah, well, I never get it right, so I wanted to make a big deal out of it. I thought, given the Wenger's logic, which was four four games quickly in the space of, you know, I guess two weeks is a lot for players who are only coming up to speed. He's talked about people coming up to speed and some of these players are new to the club. And you look at somebody like Chaka, who is kind of brought in slowly. And when you saw him play 90 minutes, you know, if you look at Watford, uh, Chaka was good in the first half and him and Santi looked kind of tired by the second half. So, uh, I mean, uh, the overall premise, you know, with a couple of clues from Dean, I mean, the, Dean's clues, once you heard them, made a lot of sense because... Dean, uh, by the way, for anyone who's who's not familiar with this, is AFC Camden on Twitter, who is a guy who seems to have, and I can't say does have, because I, how would I know, but seems to have fairly accurate inside information about several things related to yeah. the club. Yeah, in fact, when he spat that out about Perez and Mustafi would start, a few people said, oh, how would you know? F off, you big chancer. And I replied to one of them saying, let's discuss this tomorrow, because you just know... Wherever he gets his information from, the stuff that's that's pretty bulletproof is who will or won't play the next day. So anyway, that was kind of a giveaway to Wenger's thinking, which was he's got some new players who've been playing uh, for two weeks with our squad, specifically Perez. Uh, you could understand why he'd start Ox, Perez and Theo. They've had two weeks playing together uh, in training. Really? So you, you, that was not... I mean, all right, you said you can understand it. I get that. But w- that wasn't surprising to you? No. Interesting. That, yeah. I mean, I understand his logic. Um, now, y- you could go the other way, but he's going to have to do some rotation. 
some people around here have an issue with Ox. Actually, a lot of people have an issue with Ox. But consistently, Wenger mm-hmm. keeps giving him shots. I mean, you know, we had the debate last year. About for how, many for how long he... remains to be determined. <laughs> yeah, but we would have said that last year. And every time he was fit, pretty much, he got a look in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he, he does back Ox. I mean, he does. At the moment, you know, Theo was no surprise to anybody. Um, and Perez. So I understood him starting with those. If you look at his front five, five of the front six, they've all been playing together in London Colony for two weeks. So I kind of, with those couple of clues, it was pretty easy to say, he's going to go with the five who've been playing together in London Colony, but he won't leave out Ozil. That was my bet for obvious reasons. Now, when you saw Ozil perform... Maybe he should have. <laughs> you can see why he rested well, those players. I well, mean, he was, okay, but but yeah. let, let me just ask you this, because because you say you can understand it. I, I guess my argument is in Theo, we don't know enough about Perez to be informed, because no matter what anybody wants to say, the YouTube clip you watch doesn't teach you everything. Okay, so mm-hmm. let's just speak about the players we have more information on. I don't think you would say that Theo and Oxlade Chamberlain are particularly great in possession in the short passing game. They're not going to recycle possession they're not going to they're not going to be heavily involved in the passing game we know that's not Theo's game in particular and then you pick Coughlin in midfield who you know we'll get to him and and really get into detail on him but he's you know he's not in there for to play a hundred passes and recycle possession and so it just didn't didn't it strike you as a team that was kind of set up to almost play with pace on the counter at home against a team that was probably going to sit deep anyway. Like to me, it just it felt like a weird fit. Like ironically, if you had said this is a side he's going to pick for Paris in Paris for PSG in Paris, I would have said makes sense. We might be under the caution a little, sitting deeper and trying to spring the counter. But for a home game against against weaker opposition, it seemed like a very odd solution with not enough control in the side. I agree with all of that, 100%. Sweet. Uh, all right, well, this has been the Arsenal video. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the end of that. The one thing I would say with the PSG is you probably want Chaka playing because you're going to want some contr- – you know, it's a European night. You're going to want a more sophisticated midfield. So um, that's that's the only way I'd go against you on the – you know, this was a home game versus away game. Uh, but I don't think he picked his best tactical side – it was a pragmatic choice based on the factors we talked about, who who he had to work with, who was fit. Uh, PSG ran the corner, four games, question marks over Chaka, uh, over 90 minutes. And now he's just played, I guess, another two international games and PSG coming up. So uh, from a pragmatic standpoint, I think he thought this should be enough to win the game. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a damn closed run thing in the end. Right, so so I mean, it, you really think this was? Oh, I mean, I hate to say hubris, but to some extent, hubris, no, kind of like no. okay, no. So then, then what was? It? I, I think he <laughs> well, he didn't have a choice. I don't mean I don't mean hubris necessarily in the wrong way. Just saying, like, I it, trust it, that this will be enough. It's not necessarily my favorite it, solution, but I trust it to be enough. I trust it to be enough, and he. I would argue he didn't have another option. Giroud has looked tired and is very slow to get started in any season. And well, I think he's eager to replace him. That's just my opinion, not not because I've always disliked him. I mean, we, we've seen this manager try to go get someone to be his first-choice center forward, and I think 
Okay, he, he I debate eager. that. Okay. I mean, if he can get a world-class center forward, yeah. I see your point. So you're saying, yes, you agree that he's wanted to get someone superior to Giroud, but he may not necessarily think that about Lucas. Uh, yeah, or Vardy. Or I don't Vardy. Think, okay. I don't well, think but we didn't get Vardy, so we don't have to go back over that. No, okay. but he that was his first choice this season. And one of the reasons, in my mind, that Vardy didn't come was he didn't hear the magic words that... He's For Vardy to come, I imagine the magic words would have to be something horribly we're, racist. We're getting rid of all our immigrants. Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, but Vardy, the reason Vardy didn't come was because when he when he did a gut check with our Arson about was he now the man, Arson said to him, "You'll compete f- with your place mm-hmm. for your place." And when Vardy said, "Will I play through the middle?" Arson said, as you can imagine, saying, every single player here plays on the wing for half a season at a minimum. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he got the message that he was going to compete with and every fiber of Wenger's being tells you he really likes Giroud. Okay, wa- okay, 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 okay. Uh, Fine. But 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 but, he, but-, but here's here's his he does have an issue with Giroud. His issue with Giroud is what does he do when he gets into a drought? I mean, he talked about that early in the summer. He was very you could say he was scarred by the fact that Giroud didn't score for 15 games. I don't take that as he doesn't like Giroud and he doesn't appreciate the value. His big task this summer was to find more goals, and he talked about that. Let, let, let's uh, talk uh, about the game, though. Yeah. Just, just, and I'm not yeah, trying yeah. to cut you off, but because, I mean, yep. we're, we're going to get into ground you know, pretty quickly here that's pretty fertile and has nothing to do with the day, so let's let's try to stick with the game on the day. Slightly. Yeah. Slightly. Um, Believe me, I know all about ground that's fertile, as my daughter will attest to. Um, You've been spilling your seed outside in a park again, have you? Alex? I have. I have indeed. But the trees are beautiful there. Um, okay. So so the first half didn't go particularly well. Um, oh, shit. And, and, you know, one of the tweets that I t- sent out there during what was just pretty a, a rough match for the most part was, admit it, you know, we've all seen this performance a thousand times, you know. Sure. It is a performance that was very typically Arsenal, and we just we struggled to control the game. When we did, we didn't seem to really have a clear I- idea what we wanted to do with the ball. Um, one of the, the players that came in for a lot of criticism in the match, and in particular his first half of the match, was Francis Coughlin. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, I know. Now, one of the things I take exception to is you will see people on Twitter, um, Giant Gunner or Giant Gunner, yeah. is an example of this. Someone who I really like interacting with on Twitter, by the way, and, and someone who I consider a Twitter friend, you know, a, a, a person that I enjoy interacting with. Um, but, but in real life, he's an utter shit? Pro- probably. I mean, you'd have to assume so. We, we went oh, to the same high school. Um, that's so, not where you're going then. No, but, you know, he says, oh, there, there's always someone who's the scapegoat. There's always someone that you know, everybody's got to get stuck into. And while that is definitely true with a certain segment, I also think that it is fair to have concerns about a certain player, and then when those concerns come to fruition in a match, be frustrated seeing those things borne out. Now, there's a video that you can go find under the Arsenal V Podcast um, Twitter account, and if you go to our likes, you'll see a bunch of content that's been liked to support this podcast. And there's a video, one of which is meant to identify and call out some of the challenges Coughlin presents to the way we build up in midfield and our passing options. What did you see from Coughlin specifically in the first half and how it choked off our possession play and our build-up play? Well, the first thing is every fucker and his feckin' video editor is out there um, sniping away at whoever the 
scapegoat du jour is. I'd like to find all these feckers, take their video editors off them, take away their arrows, their pointers, and their boxes. If it's if there's if there's criticism that's that's deserved. Well, um, I think it is. And I, but let's so you come don't back. you don't think Coughlin had a bad first half and deserved criticism for his performance in the first half? I think he did have a bad first half. Do you know who else had a bad first Mesut half? Ozil? <laughs> Practically every fucker on the field. Well, I I, I think Kazorla was was okay. I mean, I I know no, everybody he was improved. Utter dog shit, in mm. my opinion, until about thirty minutes. Okay, well, so so let's 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 get into this for a second. First of all, because I I think there's something we have to dispense with before we even have this conversation. If the presumption is that someone is being scapegoated, then there is always going to be the need or the feeling of the need to come to their defense. Mm. And I think that both practices are unhelpful. I think that scapegoating is unhelpful. And I think that reflexively defending the scapegoat is unhelpful. I think that it is fair to have concerns about Francis Coughlin in terms of how he fits our style of play in our midfield. And it is fair to see the things he contributes to the side. But sure. I think if we're going to have a debate about Coughlin, then we have to both agree that there are things he does well and that Amen. there are that there are weaknesses to his game that may present challenges to how we want to play and sure. address it from there. Because obviously the reflexive attacking or defending of any player, just to be contrarian, is not going to be helpful. Yeah, but to me the issue is that it, it kind of you do see it a certain amount of bandwagoning. And with the whole video thing at the moment, I mean, it's like, uh, what, it reminds me of the assassin, assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. There's always some great little about, yeah. You know, somebody sniping away, shooting you in the back. All right, so let me just tell you, what I see that's problematic is, and, and there were several moments I noticed this, when the fullbacks have the ball, Coughlin does not position himself where he needs to to give them that extra option. Agreed. Okay. Let's start but, there. But, but so let's – here's my counter question. Mm-hmm. For two years, we had Coxzorla, yeah. right? Uh, well, I, no, not for two years. Well, there were some holes in the season, especially – Yeah, but, there was the half season where he came in and was a revelation because he just shored up a, a, a midfield that yeah. was a absolute tire fire. And, and then, then there was, was the, the half season last season where it worked really well. Yeah, when we were kind of playing a little more counterattacky, but, and Theo was but on. But they form both worked really well. Yeah, yeah. So here's what I don't get from people: they they have it's like that didn't happen when they talk about Cochrane. They don't talk about him having a bad game. They talk about him being fatally flawed. Well, I think he. So here's what I would say in response to that, just really quickly. Francis Coughlin has good games for Arsenal, and Francis Coughlin does good things for Arsenal. There are flaws in his game that, in my opinion, make him a bad fit for the best of what we can be, right? So, like, like sure, for example, Granit Xhaka has flaws in his game, major yeah. flaws in his game. I don't know that he's a fantastic tackler. He has the same kind of rashness that a Coughlin does, arguably more rashness and, and indiscipline in his tackling. I don't know that he's always defensively positioned as well as Coughlin. But because he is an exceptional passer, quick with the one-time passing, quick to make uh, vertical passes and to sort of understand where to be in space to make himself available, I think those strengths better suit how we want to play most of the time. He has weaknesses, weaknesses that will hurt us at times. But I think his strengths are a better fit for the football we ideally want to play. 
right? And that's yeah. really always been I my criticism, by the way, with Giroud. Giroud's a very talented footballer. I just think the style of center forward he is is not as great a fit for the players around him and the type of football we want to play. So I'm perfectly okay. fine with that. The issue I have is you don't hear of any of that in terms of Coquelin. They're just banging away about what he's shit at, and they won't say he's good at anything apart from defending, and it's not correct. No. All right, so here's the they, problem, right? I'll give you an example. He doesn't contribute to the attack. He fucking... Cl- he does, but I'll give you an example. Watch, First half. Watch there, 50 two- minutes to 75 minutes in the game yesterday, and you'll see the good, the bad, and the ugly of Francis Coquelin with lots of good. Yes, but but so here's the thing, right? So this is the part of the problem I thought we had with the first half. Francis Coquelin might be an 8 out of 10 in a lot of the aspects of defending from midfield. He might be a 4 or 5 out of 10 in a lot of the aspects of attacking in midfield and possession passing and recycling and things like that. The problem with the first half is too often he was the more advanced midfielder of our duo. And, by design. Well, right, but that's not <laughs> that's my problem with it, right? I'll give you two you good do examples. What works. There was I, one I, I fully understand that that's not you know, it's not optimum. Mm-hmm. It's not how we want to play uh, at our optimum level, at our best level. If Granite Chaka could be all the things we have already projected onto him after playing thirty minutes for us or sorry, forty five minutes for us, that was really, really good. You know, he's the optimum. My issue is not that Coxzorla or Coquelin should be the starter. My issue is Coquelin, despite all his flaws, partnered with the right person who might be, who is obviously Cazorla. The question will be, can he strike up a strong partnership with anybody else? Is extremely effective, even with his flaws. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't disagree with that. I would, so uh, two examples, right? In the first half, I think they're both first half. One, he had an op- a chance to play a one-two. He had he was at the edge of the box on the left yeah. channel, and he gave the ball. And there was all he had to do was just take a step, and he was ahead of his man. He would have been in. And instead, he just stopped. Sure. Um, there was another chance where he collected the ball going forward at about twenty-two yards out. Twenty-two. Like <laughs> I got my my ruler out and measured. He he was you know twenty so yards out, and there are two through balls that are on. Yep. One kind of through the two center backs who were split and one just straight beyond the center back. And instead, he held the ball up and went out wide to the fullback. Sure. Um, that doesn't make him a terrible player and other players nope. do that. It's an example, I think, though, of two instances where he had moved into a position where the strength beyond of his, get- his pay grade. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so so th- th- those were problematic. The other thing I would say is this. If you compare the Watford game just statistically, two things I noticed from the Watford game. One, Hector Bellerin had a much better game in possession, okay? He exchanged a lot of passes with Shaka. His passing percentage was superior. Um, and I, I think just in general, he he was able to overlap and participate more because of that ability. Um, in in this game, he passed less. He passed at a lower percentage, and, and that's because the central midfielder on his side of the pitch for at least most of the first half, Coughlin wasn't available to him. And then another really good statistical example, I think more important, is Shaka and Cazorla exchanged a lot of passes in the Watford game. Cazorla and Coughlin, not quite as much. And, you know, that that sort of engine room, right, where the possession recycles and the ball, allow it allows Ozil to find those pockets of space that he can pop into instead of having to come back too deep because... 
the ball's not available to him. You know, and again, I'm probably talking beyond my tactical pay grade at this point, but I just think that that, that is another problem for us with our buildup is when the central midfielders aren't exchanging passes between them, Ozil can't then find those pockets of space where he can be most damaging and move into them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's the case for uh, Chak Zorla. That's why that would be optimum. And I don't think I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But uh, what do they say about uh, war? It's diplomacy by other means, or is it diplomacy is war by other means? I think they say, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. No, that's Ugh. not it. That's, that's another thing. But okay. so <laughs> there are other... There are other effective ways to get things done. It may not be optimum. It can still be really good. You know, people keep showing uh, Kakala upfield of Kazorla and getting all upset about it. The issue yesterday was Kakzorla forgot how to Kakzorla for a good 40 minutes. That's a sentence that I feel like you probably would never have expected to say you know, at some point in your life. Um, well, no, so, I, look, I on, get hang that. On, hang, I, no, I don't no, think... hang on. Hang Go on, ahead. Hang yep. on. Mm-hmm. In the second half, they mostly remembered how to cock Zorla. Uh, I think uh, on the breakdown, Adrian Clark did a really good bit showing that, especially. Why don't you just ask sec- him out already? Yeah, <laughs> he's quite good. Yeah, anyway, he, good. he did he did identify something pretty good, which was the gap between the two guys, Kazorla and Cockland, which uh, continued in the second half. You can understand we were ropey and for much of the first half. But why in the second half? Well, in the second half, what I thought was interesting yesterday, and I'd like to ask your opinion on this. That's never um, that's never a good start, but okay. No. So <laughs> we could have lost yesterday. Was this a make-or-break game for the season? That that All right, look. <laughs> Technically speaking, there are no make-or-break games sure. for the season. Um, I think if they if there were I think a second home loss to what will probably be a pretty poor side battling down the table. Um, and those being what, eight points behind eight points adrift. Yeah, it's it's uh, of a very good looking Manchester going so going it, into a very busy period of fixtures as well. Yeah, I would I would say that would have been that would have been really tough to, to catastrophic. Recover and and mm-hmm. can you imagine the morale and then the home? So when the second half started, we had a an early five minutes that wasn't very good. And then we started to play and Coxorla played a lot like Coxorla, but the team was basically chasing the game. We were acting like we were goal down. We had to win. We chased that game. That's why I think we became pretty stretched. You know, we really ratcheted up the dial in terms of screw control, uh, shitter bust. Somebody's going to score a goal fucking t- turned the dial up to 11. We're mm-hmm. going for this fucker. I think that's why our second half was maybe a little ropier in terms of defensive cover than it would have been had we played a more measured game looking for the win but not acting like it was an FA Cup final mm-hmm. and we needed that last goal. But also, one other factor, isn't this the first time that Cox Orla have played best part of 90 starting together since uh, they broke up the band in November. This is actually their first game together under tremendous stress, fucking going, chasing both ways. I mean, we've seen Santi run 80 yards back to fucking cut out a pass to who, I don't know who was to the right of him, but 
deep into the the uh, second half. Mm-hmm. I mean, we this was like an FA Cup. This was like a uh, a cup game, and but yet here we are getting at our fucking tactical videos and measuring it like it was just a game that we were looking to play to our clearly we weren't at our top level clearly Cogzorla we were never going to be at our top level after an international break this early in the season incorporating two new players I I mean I I, I accept that the only thing that mattered was a win and where we sucked in the first most of the first half there was a Great energy, not a lot of quality in the final third, not a lot of finishing. There was a great energy about our team. Where did that energy come from? Well, I mean, I I think, look, you know you're going to get great energy from Francis Coughlin, right? I mean, if you yeah, don't... Yeah, two of them. Cox, Orla well, were just... Cazorla was fantastic in the second half. I mean, Cazorla was fantastic. The, the amount of ground he was covering and the tackles he was making and... I mean, yeah. he made a tackle, but you know what I mean. It was it was yeah. a in a big spot, run, running all the way back to make it. I, I just so we, so, so in the, the other first thing. half, mm-hmm. Coquelin's responsible for every fucking problem we have, and in the second half, Cazorla is fucking immense. And by the way, Coquelin's pretty damn good. And Wenger talks about that that they had to make some positional changes in the second half, and he basically says Coquelin went from not being very good to being getting stronger and stronger as the game went on. Now. I still think he had a lot of his flaws in the second half, but he did a lot of fucking good shit. And Cazorla was off the charts, and they have a partnership that works. Even if Cockland shit, if the partnership is strong, great. Now, this wasn't the best example of it. It wasn't a very controlled game. It, you know, it was one of those where the fabric of our midfield was rent in twain as we went down one end and up the other. And I... I think it's unfair for people to get out their fucking videos. And it's fine to do, but they don't present it as, here was the problem in this game. This is the problem with Francis Coquelin. Well, here's what's wrong with that. Let let me tell you what's wrong with that. What's wrong with it is it should be accompanied by a video of, here are the strengths of Francis Coquelin and what he did well in the match, right? For the sake of balance. Exactly. Um, I think there's something instructive about conversation tends to be, this is the problem with Francis Coquelin and our midfield. And it's utter fucking bollocks. Coxorla was probably the best midfield uh, in the Premier League for two seasons for as for as long as those two guys were fit. Uh, and this season, for some fucking reason, the debate is: is Francis Coquelin fucking us all up, or is uh, or those who are, as you say, come to his rescue are like. You know, shut the fuck up. Can't you remember this guy used to be good? Well, so so I guess my only repose to that would simply be, much like Olivier Giroud, the things that Francis Coughlin contributes to the side have a place in the side, but on a day-to-day, on a game-to-game basis, I would prefer to see us play a, a different way that requires a different skill set. And that's why, for me, you know, I, I would prefer... Be, just based on the football, I like to see us play a Granit Xhaka or Mohamed El Nenny in there. This um, is what I don't get. Haven't I said that like yeah, ten of times? Course, over but, the... but, but all I'm saying in but, in, but, retor- but in response but I think is that that's perfect. I think that's perfect because somehow the harder you defend Francis Coquelin, the more the other people, whoever they are, are fucking convinced you're trying to tell them you want Coquelin ahead of 
Chaka, or alter- or there's the whole other crowd who think because Cochrane is doing some beat to, box-to-box stuff, somehow they think they're defending Ramsey against Conkela. I, I well, yeah, then, it ju- then it just gets into everybody has their, their sort of petty grievances yeah. with every player, right? Like, I mean, I don't yeah. particularly like Aaron Ramsey in central midfield, you know, and if it came down to a Ramsey-Cazorla pairing or a Cockzorla pairing, I'd probably choose Cockzorla. You know what? You know what it was for me with this game, Paul? I think when you have guys like Ox, Theo, and, and Lucas who arguably aren't really possession-oriented forwards, mm-hmm. and then you have... Francis Coughlin in midfield, sure. who, who's more of a sit deep counter kind of midfielder than a a get involved in the build up and get sure. forward kind of midfielder. I felt that we lacked the kind of control we did we needed for a game where we were going to have probably around sixty percent possession. And as it turns out, we had around sixty percent possession. Yeah, um, no, and and we did I lack think control. That's Look, right. we and had I two shots were... on target. One was yeah. a penalty, and one was the the Koscielny bike. Right. I have an issue with shots on target. What's wrong with a shot that's six inches wide of the post? No, no, Why no, doesn't I, that count? I get it, but I think my, my point is I think in some games that's that's a statistic that's misleading or irrelevant. And in some games, I think it is indicative of of a failure to create good chances. And I do think it's fair to point out we did fail to create good clear-cut chances. Um, uh, I mean, look, the, the XG, There was again, the Santi was one in one front to goal. One, there was the Nacho Monreal one. There was the Giroud header that, you know. I mean, we created one, you know, I think it was 1.0 to 0.9 XG, and then they had an OG and we had a, a penalty. I have an issue with XG. Let's not get into it. Let's move on. Look, I mean, uh, I think 30 minutes on Coughlin is probably enough. Um, given that there are some people that would prefer he doesn't even play 30 minutes, we've just discussed him for 30 minutes, and that's that's probably going to do it. Look, I think this is a debate that will continue to rage. I, I think we can probably agree that the biggest reason for the head-scratching on the day was it seemed a weird selection based on the opponent. Um, the yeah. circumstances may have warranted with, with, it, but With based the on fully the available squad, I agree. Okay. But given the pragmatic choices to be made, I understand why you picked that 11. Yeah. So let's do this real quick. I mean— with the good players to come off the bench, which is... Uh, they had a dive. Yep. Yeah. No, we, we agree. We agree. So they had a dive to move to, to, to win a free kick. They get the goal off it. We get an extraordinary goal from our new captain, Francis Coughlin. Uh, Francis Coughlin. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Laurent Koscielny. Koscielny. It, wasn't it uh, interesting what Wenger said about him being captain? Well, I wanted to ask you about this. So he says, I think one of the things you have to decide when you choose a captain is someone who you think is going to play a lot, which is ironic because that's the opposite of what Yeah, go ahead. That's what I wanted to ask you. How do you feel about hearing those words come out of Arson's? Well, I think it's consistent with what we've seen from Arson Wenger lately, which is saying things that whether they make sense or not aren't (laughs) super consistent with his previous positions. Um, You know, obviously he has picked captains who expressly have not been available, whether you're talking about Vermont. That it didn't really matter. It it, didn't quite say that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. I mean, I'm. I, I think there are a lot of sensible people that think the choice of captain is a total irrelevance. I think the important thing is picking a captain, at least who teammates like and will rally around. That's why I think his worst captaincy choice was not Murtisacker, Arteta, or Vermalen or Koscielny, or any of these guys. It was William Gallus. Um, that was the one I really hated. Not to mention the fact that he wore number ten. Um, so. So we get we get to halftime, and it, it was a pretty stale match. Things improved after the half. I think we, we kind of changed our position and approach, and, and it improved. But what did you think of um, 
uh, the the new the new guys, Mustafi and uh, Lucas. Um, so Mustafi, I thought was very dodgy in the first half. Uh, apparently, really high number of passes in the game, ninety five of which about fifty were between him and Kishelny, so maybe twenty five apiece. So I I liked what he was trying to do more than what he did, especially in the first half. In the second half, I thought it was pretty good, and Wenger talked about him getting stronger as the game went on. And he talked about him and Perez being somewhat kind of surprised with the intensity. The pace of the game, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And certainly the case, he said, talked about Perez being better in the second half, and I think he probably was. I thought he kind of sucked in the first half, but then he didn't get really get much distribution. Uh, There was somebody showed a plot of his touches, and he basically vacated the middle of the park and went to find the ball on both wings. Maybe that's because he was feeling lonely at the, the center forward spot. So I think he really struggled. Uh, but I think we'd all probably say, well, that doesn't mean much. It's his first game and nobody, you know, as you said, I mean, so you talked about the our, of our front five, you know, a good four of them aren't very good at kind of possession football specifically or holding on to the ball. Yeah. And, and what it would have been a great saw, Giroud game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you saw like Ozil and Cazorla just spilling the ball for no great reason. You know, you saw uh, maybe it was later on in the game. Bellerin spill, spilled it once or twice. Uh, Mustafi with some ropey. To, I mean, you, you can't play well when you can't string a few passes together. So we had some players that weren't suited to it, but every fucking player on the pitch seemed to line up to contribute their effort to never string more than two or three passes together. I thought we got a lot better in the second half, but basically Perez didn't really have a shot at it. And it's kind of, all right, we, we won't judge. The interesting thing with Mustafi is, and if you go, if you go to the likes on the Arsenal V podcast Twitter account, there's a 11 Tang and 11 on Twitter does these pass maps mm. um, that are really interesting that kind of show the concentration of passing and the, the influence of passing and the dynamic of how the ball was moving throughout the game they're they're really nice because they're easy to just kind of look glance at and get a sense of and um he posted gosh i think it was lenny's pets puppet pet puppets or something like that posted um posted two side by side one is from Mm. the watford game where holding played and one is from the southampton game and in the southampton game you clearly see that mustafi was playing like 20 yards forward of where holding was now, I wonder, is that Mustafi's style and how we intend to use him as more of a line-breaking passer like Murtisacker was to get forward to distribute? Or is that, again, a byproduct of this, the difference between having Shaka, who will come back to collect from the back four and start attacks, versus a Coughlin, who's not as adept at that? You know, I was curious, when you looked yeah, at that, go, what did I you make from I go for that it? second explanation. I mean, Shaka mm-hmm. likes to drop deep. Um Take the ball off the off the back four. Yeah, drop and, between and, the two yep. center backs or whatever. Santi does that to some degree, but we also saw yesterday that he didn't do it maybe as much as he should have. We saw Ozil draw. I mean, we, that's all. I still think maybe it's not perfect and optimum. You, you can play it either way. And um, we had many games in which it was clearly the plan for Santi to drop deep between to the center backs, pick up the ball and start to play. We just didn't do it very well yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right into that vacuum. I mean, you'd often see Mustafi with like half the field opening up in front of them. The, 
the problem we have, we saw it a bit with Holding. There was actually a video clip you'll have seen from like a week or two ago where Holding advances up the pitch and everybody's going on about probably Cockala again, not giving him an option. But the thing is, we don't really plan for the centre-backs to go charging up the pitch. I mean, we see it so often. We've seen uh, Laurent Koscielny do it a bunch of times Mm -hmm. where he likes... It's like, oh, great, where he's like, you know, he runs past two people. He's coming up to the box, but then he fucking passes it into touch or something because we don't really have a plan for what to do when the centre-back has run two-thirds of the pitch. I I think Mustafi's pretty good. I think he's actually a bit of a baller. Maybe, uh, I mean, Koscielny's got loads of skills, but he actually doesn't know what to do once he once he gets kind of two-thirds of the way up the pitch. So I liked what I saw with Mustafi. He had a lot of dodgy touches, but but in terms of, I think, his his abilities, uh, his vision, his confidence going up the field, he's got the pace to get back. I thought that was a very promising sign, uh, even if the quality wasn't quite there yet. Yeah, I mean... Um... It's it's interesting, right? Because if you look at Shaka against Watford, he had 85 touches. And you look at Coughlin against Southampton, and he had 66 touches. And, you know, it just makes you wonder, is that influence, especially further back the pitch, explain a little bit of how the center backs have to play? Um, yep. And, and I think... It also creates the question of shape a little bit, too, because the thing that was a little disturbing to me is towards the end of the game, it just got so stretched, and the shape started to just become a mess. Um, And I wonder a little bit if that's related to the center backs having to move up the pitch more to to get attacks started or just a desperation to get that winning goal. And, you know, we've seen this, and it's a criticism of Arsenal that's gone on for several years now. When we are chasing a game, we don't seem to have a very sophisticated way of doing it, do we? Like, no. once it gets to the point where we're like, we need to go, and I get it, look, at some point, desperation is desperation, but it's kind of like the Monaco Champions League game that's become sort of the 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 key um, talking point for this, this kind of argument. But I also remember it against United a couple seasons ago. Um, when we're chasing the game, we don't seem to have a very sophisticated or coherent approach to doing that in terms of not leaving ourselves totally exposed, do we? No, I think that's fair. I mean, certainly control is not uh, the the byword for how we chase a game. We basically turn the dial, uh, expose ourselves, <laughs> hoping to expose them, yeah, uh, and roll the dice. And the pr- problem with that, as we know, is they may have fewer counterattacking opportunities, but they'll probably be the better ones and... You know, we saw a bit of that. Yeah, uh, I would say in so. This game. Um, so then, look, the there are a couple of things we can come on to, but but let's just get to how the game ends. I mean, the <laughs> it's it's wonderful. I we we kind of talked, we almost talked about karma at the start of this. Yeah, uh, I quite liked one of. There's a great tweet here from a Poznan in my pants. I don't actually have it in front of me, where he said something he's, like, he's a, "That's a great account." Yeah, it is. He's, he's got some fabulous stuff. Hilarious, hilarious stuff. But uh, the whole thing about, um, you know, the delicious aspect of uh, of the whole heel karma thing after what he did to Koscielny uh, in our last matchup, uh, clipping his heels. And here was this ironic accidental step on the heel that the, com- the co-commentator had a fucking mental m- meltdown and yet it was nothing. And there's, you know... 
uh, Long collapses on the ground, grabbing his face. That's kind of ironic because he doesn't have a face injury. We stepped on his heel. On the other hand, down the other end in their penalty area is a perfectly valid point from their standpoint. Our boy is Laurent's rolling around holding his head. Um, there's so many contrasts, ironies, and fucking karmas in play. Um, but it's great shit. I mean, I, I, I got the sense that a lot of people didn't enjoy that game. Um, well, not the first 90 minutes of it. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it's a cracking game, especially once, once we start, I wouldn't say, you, maybe you wouldn't say playing well, but once we started doing shit, uh, you know, you might have enjoyed it the first time around. Watch it again. Oh, for God's sakes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not backing off it. All right, Once, look. From about 30 minutes on it, it's a fucking cracking game. It's an open game, and it certainly, yeah. I mean, I don't know if technically it was a great game, but it certainly had a, no. a lot of moments. I think yep. um, the the interesting thing is that, that you know, I thought if if there was anything that surprised me about how, how that turned out, the penalty incident, the referee probably should have blown for Koscielny's head injury. He certainly got the Shane Long thing wrong, which is fine by me. But it was great to see the team play on. It, the Shane Long thing, though, I mean, it was a fucking nothing thing. Well, no, I mean, uh, I mean, he, he he got fouled, right? Yeah. But, so that's all I'm saying. We got lucky that he didn't call the foul. Yeah. I mean, he probably should have blown for the head injury in the in the penalty box. But what what was most significant about that passage of play to me was that the team played on. Yeah. That they didn't put the ball in the touch. That they didn't just Tim you know, Stillman's the, favorite thing. It is because I, you know. The question with some of these guys, rightly or wrongly, has always kind of been, do they really want to win? You know, is how important is winning yeah. them? How hungry are they? And there's nothing yeah. that says I'm less hungry to win than, oh, well, you know, I got to put the ball in the touch for these guys. And, no, yeah. I, you know, play on. And they did, and they got the reward for it. Because the one thing that happens when you play on during an injury, it, the opposition team, you know, they're they're frustrated. They're looking at the ref. Come on. They're, they're not totally focused. And I think that's... That confusion, that lack of focus really impacted the play there. I do think it was absolutely a penalty, and Cazorla stepped up and confidently took it. Um, did you have – was that the guy you wanted stepping up? I mean, Cazorla's got to be our penalty taker, right? Yeah, I was pretty nervous, though. I mean, that fucking goalkeeper. There was an excellent tweet by uh, – I don't see here – but that pausing in my pants guy talking about David versus Goliath. I mean, it was a bit like that. You have little David walking up with his little slingshot and Goliath is fucking monster. But it was always it was always hit it down the middle because how could Forster not try and use his wingspan, the wingspan of a fucking albatross? Uh, how would he not dive to the left or right? So, yeah, but I, I don't know how, get, how they get the balls if this is what Santi did to wait till he goes. And then in that last blink of an eye, just steer slightly the other way. Because I'm sure, you know, most people are like me looking at it saying, well, if he'd gone the other way, this might have caught his, even though it was down the middle, it was a bit, you, you know, do you get that thing where you're like, did he really know that for, at the last moment, Forrester was going the other way? I don't know, but I, I'm a big fan of actually hitting it right down the middle because by and large, the keeper will dive. Um, yep. You know, and I think it's so funny to me when someone hits it left and, it's, you know, like three feet from the center and <laughs> yeah. and it's it's not well struck, but the keeper dives the other way and they go, oh, it's a perfect penalty. Yeah. It, you know. <laughs> he waited till he moved. Yeah. I mean, to me, if you hit it down the center, as long as the keeper dives, you've scored. You know, yeah. if you hit it firmly, but not into a corner, left or right, 
If the keeper dives, it's a 50-50 at that point, right? So I, I know. I mean, look, I know penalties are scored at a certain rate, and that it is what it is, but I... I don't mind kicking it down the middle. The only yeah. thing is it's going to look real bad if you keep kicking it down the middle because eventually <laughs> some going to stand yeah. there. Now having said that, it into his hands. we won't get another penalty for four and a half seasons because we're already well over our quota. We're doing great. And we're not giving any away. I, I think, um, think they got confused. So, uh, the, on yeah, the penalty go though. So I, I got a laugh of Van Dyke trying to bury his cat under the penalty spot. They got like two yellow cards right at the end. That and that's the second time they've given – there must be something about Santi. Didn't they give him utter shit the last time as well? They were all pulling at him and tugging him, uh, whichever game that was, when he was stepping up to take a penalty. Yeah, I I don't remember. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, Fucking giving him shit, you know, yeah. that, that few seconds before the whistle goes – and he takes his breath. They were like fucking pulling at him and tugging at him. Bastards. I, I mean, look, it, it is one of those things that a, a penalty, especially a contentious penalty late that wins the game is the best fucking feeling. Right. But it's like lovely. one of the things that I think we have to at least acknowledge is, you know, last year we were all, you know, at least the nerds among us were nerding out about, oh, Arsenal has the best XG and XG has us predicted to win the league and XG shows that we're, you know, cha- we're yeah. the best team in the league. We're playing the best football in the league, whatever. That is not the case right now. Um, it shows that we're not playing particularly well and, and we're off nope. to a stuttering start. Yep. Um, I realize that we now just for the first time have our quote full squad and we can sort of hit the ground running and, and yeah. the season came a little too soon for us for whatever reason. Based on what you've seen so far for the start of the season, are you concerned about how things are going, or or are you more the opinion that um, now that everybody's in and we can finally start to get some some cohesion? There's that word again. Um, that that it'll start to pick up. Definitely. Well, concerned. I don't think we're playing very well. Let me put it that way. Am I concerned uh, about our season? Not much can be said at this point. I just don't think we know. So uh, being a bit of an optimist, I'm I'm not particularly concerned, but I, we're not playing very well. But you could give a list of reasons why we're not. Um, on the other hand, City had a great half against United that first half. That was They played sensationally, and I don't think we have any better excuses than they do. So that's mm-hmm. a bit concerning. United were very good in the second half against City. So that's big concerning. I thought Chelsea looked really good until they absolutely fucked it up uh, yesterday. So that was great. But I, I was actually formulating a question as to who did you see as the most deadly threat? And I was beginning to think it was Chelsea till they fucked it up. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, they should have won that game 7 nothing. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and my God, Hazard, Hazard has, you know, he's refound his Hazardness. Yeah, well, it's clear what was going on with them yeah. last season, I think, right now. I, it's um, it's tough because in a season where the big clubs look like they're going to play the role of big clubs again, you cannot yep. afford a stuttering start. So we yep. got out of jail with this, but we're going to have to play a lot better consistently. We have some winnable games coming up and then Chelsea on the horizon. Um, I want to address two things quickly, if you don't mind, before we sign off. One is I just want to do a, a quick touch on the, the upcoming Champions League game, but but first, there's one player I just want to discuss because we were, we yeah. didn't mention him, and that's Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, you know, you talk about scapegoating, but I think this is a great example of a player who is not delivering, and the criticism he's getting is not scapegoating. It's it's just criticism of a player who's really struggling. Um, 
you know, and some people say, well, you just got to, you got to play him through it. Just keep playing him so we can play his way into form. But at big clubs, you don't get to play your way into form. You're either in form or you lose your place. Uh, I noticed you tweeted something basically about like, you got to keep your head up there, son. Like when he got substituted, um, because he kind of dropped his head for you is the hype. Go ahead. And I think I might even have said that I certainly thought it at various points during the game. I mean, he kind of got more and more. I don't, it might, you might be right. That was, that was when it was aimed at, but actually, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. Yeah. But I actually thought it, you know, you kind of see this, this progression downwards as the game, you know, he had two crosses that were fucking ballooned into the stand. And by the second one, I think the second one probably happened because of the first one, but by the second one, you can just see his whole body language. And if he was more of a bastard, if he just said, I don't give a fuck and meant it, I think he'd actually start to hit form. But like, as they say, that's a question I wanted to ask you though. At some point is all of this quote promise of talent and exceptional ability that we've just sort of steadfastly believed in, more theoretical and is this the player he really is what we're seeing i mean at what point are the performances on the pitch more reflective of the player than the hype about the talent uh well i think we've seen the talent in the past the, here's, in spurts, here's the point. In little, he, he yeah. has moments because so my theory is he's a player with tremendous individual qualities like i think he can strike the ball very well i think he's pacey and he can dribble um so yeah. I think he's had good games, though. So it, the, the piece I, I'm, I'm really with you on is at a big club, he'd never be getting these chances. Uh, and so, you know, if this were Chelsea, uh, he wouldn't be getting the look in. If this were City, I don't think he'd be getting a look in. He certainly wouldn't get it at United. So, yeah. I, you know, I think... I find that that one I agree with wholeheartedly. Should he keep getting them at Arsenal? I mean, if if my life depended on it and I was the manager, he'd be getting a look in when, you know, when I could afford it and when somebody else wasn't available. Now, maybe uh, from a pragmatic standpoint, I kind of get why he played this game. But definitely Arson gives him a lot more license than I think he is now warranted. Yeah, I, it's tough because he's a player. I, I remember last preseason, we all thought one of the things that was going to carry us forward in this cohesion plan was that he was going to take a big step forward. Yeah. Um, and he didn't. He he arguably took a step back and then was injured. Yeah. And now I think he's arguably maybe even taken another half step back. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't see us having room for him, especially if you assume Alexis is going to start every game. One of Lucas or Giroud or both are going to start every game. You know, we... It is yeah. a little troubling to me that Campbell was loaned out, and it's not because I think Campbell is a world beater, but right now, if there was a player I had to play in a big spot, I'd still be playing Joel Campbell over Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Sure. Um, but our, I guess what we can say is Arson had to think about that, and he backed Ox. And yeah. I think the, Fine, but you know what? I'd probably why. be playing Jack Wilshire over him, too, and I know that's another ball of wax because Jack moved because he wants to start every game, you know, in yeah, central midfield. because when he asked Arson, Arson said... Kind of like the Vardy thing, only worse. You know, the vibe Jack picked up is he's going to have to fight his way onto the bench and then onto the field. Mm-hmm. And he would have. And he probably will get a few knocks this year. And as soon as he's fit at Bournemouth, he plays. And as soon as he's fit at Arsenal, he gets to fight to be on the bench and then eventually to get some... So from an Arsenal standpoint, 
I don't think you can have Jack brooding around the squad all year. I mean, no. he's, he was going to go fucking mental. And we already As, know this about Jack. When things aren't going his way on the pitch, his off-the-pitch stuff, you would know. Would have been terrible. And then uh, this year would have been worse because Sa- Sam Allardyce basically said he's not playing unless he's starting or at least playing a lot. So if you thought Jack was bad other years, it would have been a fucking mess. So yeah. they had to do what they had to do, and it was done at the end of the window. Um, and I think that one made sense. And I think... You know, with Campbell versus the Ox, uh, what Wenger likes about the Ox is that he will run at players, he'll run at centre-backs, he's more direct. Unfortunately, he's still being a bit shit, and you get the sense that this could go on the whole season again. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just don't Man, know that from, that a, from a team concept standpoint, from a, yeah. from a how to, where to be on the pitch and what to do with the ball to sure. bring your teammates into the game and and work in you know in some interconnected kind of way i just don't know that that that's clicking for him yet I think um that's right i think he might have started a Wobie ahead of him had a Wobie been yeah. fit if ramsey were fit he would have ended on the pitch and ended up on the pitch and arguably you know he may still play a lot of games on the right wing this year you know we have my, my quick throwaway about a Wobie is that we may have anointed him a little fast though i mean he's got to be he's got to be better with the ball um, I thought he was pretty good in his cameo yesterday. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he completed what seventy-two percent of his passes. He's still a little loose with the ball. Is my only point, and that, you know, uh, that's something that I think is in his game. Um, he is he has good vision. He has good touch, but he also just needs to needs to make safer, better choices with the ball. Um, all right, he's so generally let, better than seventy-two percent, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Wasn't that just the nature of the beast yesterday? Well, he the came game on, was a sloppy it, mess at the end. Yeah. yeah, he probably only had like fucking. 10 or 15 passes. And, and he made a difference. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so Paris, I mean, yeah. by the time this comes out, maybe today, but tomorrow for when we're recording this, um, well, who would you who would you start in, in sort of the key positions? We know at least presumably guys like Alexis will start, Ozil will start. What, do you, what would you do in central midfield? What would you do up front? Uh, I would guess it's going to – the question is – well, yeah. I was going right, to say not cause, what will cause you Orla. do. What do you think he's going to do? Yeah, yeah. My question was on Cazorla, but Cazorla's only played one game. So I think he'll go Chaka Cazorla, uh, though he might be feeling guilty about El Nenny and was holding him back for that. That's a possibility, too. So I think it really is interesting how El Nenny's not getting playing time for a guy that, yeah. you know, has looked good when he's played and who he went out and got in January. Yeah. And he was so good in Europe the last time against Barcelona. So, so you'd, I go, think, you'd go because you think he'll go uh, Chaka Cazorla. Yeah. Which, which is great. Yeah. Giroud up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walcott on the wing. See, I think it's interesting. I, I have a weird feeling that Lucas will play. Um, okay. And I, I think Lucas might play. I have a very strong play, feeling he won't. I, I don't know why I do, but I do. And I think he'll play up front. <laughs> but I, it wouldn't blow my mind if he played with Giroud, um, you know, sort of on, on in that nominally wide right position. Too soon. I don't think he'll put it on him. I think. Well, they haven't had a chance to, to play that way. Or try yeah, and I him. think he want to protect him. Uh, he won't want him having two bum. You know, uh, you get a free pass for your first game. I don't think he want to drop him straight into it with PSG. I think he'll go much more conventional. I think he'll take a lot of the risk out of it, mm-hmm. and he'll play the people largely who expect to play. I it's think not it's, a vintage PSG side. I mean, this this is no. this is these are points we can get. This yeah. isn't just we kind can of top like the group. This isn't you know. We should top the group. Yeah, 
On the evidence so far, yeah. I mean, but we've seen much easier groups that we've made sure. much harder work of. So, I mean, what, what's your expectation from the match? you think we can take all three points? Uh, we can. I think, I, I guess I'm expecting with PSG a win at home and a draw away. I think that was pretty reasonable. I have a really, really strange feeling that it could be a really good game for us. Mm-hmm. I have a really weird feeling about that. I think... I think as we start to see Shaka incorporated in midfield more, we'll see a more vintage type of Arsenal performance and way of playing. And I, I think as we, we inject more of that pace up front, it's it's going to start to work. I mean, Alexis also is too good to be in a quote, you know, we'll say rut by his standards for long. Yeah. Um, he actually looked pretty good in his cameo yesterday. I was surprised. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think we're yeah. waiting for like a vintage breakout sure. performance and, and maybe it comes here. So look, let's leave it there. I think for two people talking over each other for an hour that we've probably hit our quota that I should mention Tim's not here because he's in Paris, the uh, lucky bastard, but he will be here for the post PSG pod. So that's one you'll want to listen to. Uh, we'll continue to try to curate that like section of the Arsenal V podcast Twitter account. Uh, if you're not following it, it's Arsenal V podcast. Um to, to have some content that helps support some of the stuff we talk about so that you can see that everything we've said about it is totally inaccurate. Um, if you can, you know, like the podcast uh, on whatever things you like things on and then, like, like give it re- reviews. I don't know. Five stars would be great. Um, but in the meantime, we'll probably call it a day there. We'll try to get this up as early as possible so you have time to listen to it before the next match because they're coming thick and fast now. It's hard for the players, but imagine how hard it really is for the podcasters. Um all right, well, Paul, Paul is on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Thanks, as always. Pleasure. Uh, final closing comment Please. as a goodbye. The thing that was sensationally exciting yesterday for all of us, or not yesterday, Saturday, for all of us, Santi Cazorla, in a season where we were wondering how much of a role he might play, whether he'd have tendinitis, blah, blah, blah. Now, touch wood and don't want to jinx him, but the most exciting thing is we might have the full feck and Santi, and there's not a lot of them for the whole season. Uh, I, there's a Twitter account that's like about sp- Spanish football, like La Liga, and they they tweeted something out the other day saying basically no one in Spain can understand why Santi Cazorla isn't rated higher in England. Um, he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal player, and I love watching him play. Okay, um, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, we will be back after the PSG match. So just uh, stay here and sit in front of the microphone for 10 minutes. Anyway, we appreciate it. Uh, Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy the football. We'll talk to you soon. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. In the latest episode of History This Week, we take a closer look at a failed insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building in 1861, when the nation was on the cusp of a civil war. Nearly 160 years later, what can we learn from this moment when democracy was challenged? And check out all our episodes this month as History This Week celebrates Black History Month. Last week, we covered the Greensboro sit-ins that sparked a media firestorm and inspired mass sit-ins across the country. Next week, we travel to Australia and witness Sydney students taking a freedom ride of their own for Aboriginal civil rights. After that, we'll be exploring the origins of jazz. 
For these stories and more, subscribe to History This Week wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends.